Welcome, guys, back to the Grateful Living podcast. Today, I am fortunate to have Aaron Cullen. Uh, Aaron is an e-commerce, e-commerce manager in her day-to-day, but then uh, outside of that, runs a queer blog. Uh, you can find it at AaronAnnCullen.com. Uh, Aaron, thank you so much for being on. Thank you for having me, Arnav. So uh, take it back, you know, set the scene for everyone, where you grew up, uh, what was your family situation like? What type of kid you were? Things of that nature. Okay, so let's start from the beginning. So I'm originally from a pretty small town in New Jersey. Long Valley, New Jersey is where I grew up. And I always say I came from a very chaotic, but very, very loving family. So I am the fourth child in my family. My parents actually did have six children. I had a younger brother who passed away when I was very young. And I like to say that, you know, in moments like this, because it's very easy to say I'm, I'm one of five, but actually I'm one of six. And I feel like the loss of my brother very early on, even though it was very, very early in my probably childhood memories, I feel like shaped our family in a very specific way. I've, I've always felt very connected to my family. And I, I believe that that acknowledgement of loss even as I was growing up has only strengthened my bond with my, my current, you know, my siblings that I still have. And they are truly my best friends. I have an older brother, Sean, who's a doctor in, in New York city. I have an older sister, Mary Kay, who lives just outside of Boston. She's a physical therapist. My older sister, Carrie, who really was like my guiding force when I was looking for internships and kind of getting my, my feet wet in the professional world lives out in New Jersey. And then I have a younger sister, Megan, who works as a tech consultant and she is also in New York. And I have been so blessed in the last few years that my siblings have gotten married, have had children. I actually have my older brother and my younger sister, Megan, they live within like 10 blocks of me. So we get to have this like very unique moment of time where we're very close to each other and I can just pop over. I can walk my brother's dog. I can meet my sister for a drink. And I know it probably won't be that way forever. So I really, I cherish the time that we have together now. And we make a huge effort to see each other on holidays and on the weekends. And they've been such a sustaining force for me during the coronavirus and everything that's kind of happened in the last few, few months. I have, you know, my parents, Kelly and John, and they are just the most strong role models for what it means to be a loving, hardworking parent. I truly don't know two harder working people than my mom and dad. They both work multiple jobs. My dad is public school math teacher, and he also runs a a small business doing a signing for local sports. He's also a referee for soccer, basketball, lacrosse. So he's a very well-known man around town. And my mom is a school nurse and she also teaches prenatal classes for people who are going to be parents for the first time through a local hospital. And in addition to everything they do, you know, in their professional roles, they are also just extremely generous and giving of their time, both to us as like their, you know, their children and and their immediate family, significant others, grandchildren, but they just give so much of themselves in everything they do with our extended family. And I feel like they have, again, just been the model of what I hope to be in life, which is of course, hardworking, but also with just such genuine 
compassion and care for like everyone that they interact with. So feel very blessed in, you know, the group that I was surrounded with when I grew up and they've only continued to be stronger support systems as I've gotten older and, and the world's gotten more challenging. And in my small town in Long Valley, I went to, I went to grammar can school. I, can I stop you for a second? Yes, please. Sorry, sorry. No. Um, you know, you mentioned the loss of your brother yes. in there. You know, how old were you at that time? So I was about, I was about three and a half years old. I was about three and a half years old. So, you know, it's funny in talking about loss at such a young age, I've realized in conversation that there are things that I, I believe I remember, but I also don't know if those are maybe things that I think I remember because I was so young and you're kind of, you know, then as like a kindergartner and a first grader, like recognizing that something very sad and very heartbreaking happened, but you know, your cognitive ability to comprehend that or even like truly remember it is probably limited. So I definitely feel the acknowledgement of what happened, but it, it's not that I have that many clear memories uh, of the loss itself. And I feel like I've been super informed by like the reactions, like the like extreme involvement of my extended family in my life. Like my grandparents, my aunts and uncles, my cousins, like from my first memories have just been so present in our lives. And I feel like not because that the only reason is because of the loss in our family, but I feel like it's just something that we're always very aware of, if that makes sense. Do you think it made you grow up a lot? I mean, because that's, that's a tough thing to comprehend at, at that age. And, you know, I'm just thinking like, one of the things that happened in my life when I saw Sandy Hook happen, it was just like these kindergartners having to deal with, you know what I mean? And and obviously a totally different situation with you, but like at that young of an age, like, you know, how did you, do you do remember how you handled it or like, what did you question a lot of things? I mean, I don't even know what. Right. So at I that think age. <laughs> so I actually, I, I wrote my parents a letter a few years ago because something else happened in my life, another, another loss of, of a very young person. And I wrote this letter to my parents because I realized, I think in, in witnessing that terrible tragedy, like truly the strength that my parents found to still just carry on day to day with normal things but also to give my siblings and I just an incredibly happy childhood. I think it is such a challenging thing to navigate losing a child. And I pray that I'm never in that situation myself because I feel like it probably questions, you know, everything that you believe to be true to its core and, and makes you question the world and why things happen. And I, I don't necessarily have an answer for those things but I am so grateful that my parents, I'm sure when it could have been very easy to just give up or, you know, turn inwards or kind of blame the world for something that happened, they really turned outwards and they just poured their heart and soul into giving our family like a fighting chance at being happy. And again, I, I say that because I'm like, I don't know if I could do that. You know, I don't know yeah. if I could summon that strength. And they did that, like, not just like once or twice, but like repeatedly for my entire childhood and even into adulthood, they are such sources of strength and comfort when things do go wrong and just always reaffirm me that, that even 
through tough times, if you care for one another, not that things will be better with, you know, with, without the, the loss that you've just experienced, but that, that there will still be love and goodness that can come if you like kind of hold firm to each other. And, and I like treasure that about them so much. And I respect that about them so much because again, I, I can't imagine how hard it was even like going through it as, you know, as a child, I, I am just like so often in awe of my parents and, and all that they do truly. Yeah. No, they, they sound like very strong people in a, in a tough time. I, don't mean to get this personal, but, and so feel free to not answer, but, you know, especially so many years later, like how often do you think about him? Like, mm -hmm. is it a, you know, is it a yearly thing on his birthday or is it a month? Like, is it, how, how is that process with? So it's, it's funny you say that. So I actually in it may sound a little silly, but in, in my bathroom, I have like a little rainbow hung on the, on the windowsill with his name on it that I actually, and it sounds kind of silly, but I made it with my younger sister at a memorial event that the local hospital, you know, where he passed away, um, honors, honors children and their families every year, you know, just as a moment of remembrance. And I like to leave it, you know, in the morning, cause it's kind of one of the first things I see and it's, you know, just honestly doesn't make me happy like outright happy but it's just kind of like a comfort to like see his name see the rainbow try to like keep you know keep moving forward in the day and and try to be as optimistic as I can I think something I realized from w watching both of my parents is in the years that have passed since my brother passed away I've definitely seen that people process grief differently, you know? So I think it gives some people a lot of comfort to on, on a day of uh, like a birthday, for example, or, or the anniversary of a passing to really just take that day off, you know, don't go to work, maybe have family over for lunch or dinner and just, you know, feel that extra bit of closeness and, and comfort when maybe you're feeling down. I, I have very distinct memories of my aunts and uncles coming to our house on those days when I was a kid. And, you know, they definitely didn't have to, you know, my grandparents would, you know, drive from Long Island, you know, take us to breakfast. And, you know, it was definitely hard for them too. But the fact that like they were present for us and trying to make life easier for my mom and my dad, and even us as kids, you know, those were often then happy days where, you know, you felt the strength of your community around you. I also think it's fair that some people just process better by kind of going about their their day and, and not because they're not acknowledging loss, but for some people, loss can be so painful that it can be like all consuming. And I think, you know, if if folks are ever experiencing loss themselves or or know someone who is, it can be really good just to ask the question, like what would make you feel best as this day approaches, like this day of memorial or this this anniversary, whatever it may be, because people may have different answers. And I think by kind of meeting them where they're at and saying, I'm here if you need something or you want to do something, but also if you just need some quiet time, you know, some alone time, and you're just going to go about your day, like I'm still here, even if we're not talking, even if we don't see each other, I feel like that can be really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. So I, I cut you off. I think you were talking about maybe, uh, 
maybe your interest as a kid. I don't even yeah, know. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. it's good. We're like, we're like diving right in. We're going to go yeah. back and forth. So again, it's like interesting to talk about my brother when I was so young and, and that loss, obviously. And then kind of like who I grew to be like after that happened. And, and that's why I definitely say like, I credit so much of my happiness as a child to my parents because first of all, they, you know, when I was investigating like where I wanted to go to school, I went to a public grammar school and then I actually went to private middle school and high school. And my parents were just with all five of my siblings in school, they were so supportive and basically said to all of us, like, here's what I think you would like, but also it's your decision. So we kind of had a mix of people going to different schools. Like I think at one point there was maybe like four of us in four different schools. I mean, it was like pretty, I don't know how my parents kept our schedule straight, but it was pretty impressive. And I would say one of the biggest defining factors of happiness in my childhood was the summer camp that I went to like every summer as a kid. And it's kind of funny. It's actually where my parents met when they were, you know, teenagers and, you know, or young adults, I guess you could say. And so they actually both worked at the summer camp so that my siblings and I could go and attend. And that was just like, you know, everything you could want as a kid, you know, you're with your family, you get to meet all these interesting people and make these lifelong friendships and connections. And I feel like summer camp is a really, fantastic place just to like gain confidence as a kid not because you have to be like the loudest person or the most enthusiastic even though like I was definitely (laughs) like on the end of those things but I feel like it it has so many options that like even if you're a quiet kid or a more artistic kid or just maybe want like one or two friends but you form extremely close relationships with those people there's still something amazing out there for you so again, I always say like my parents did everything in their power to give us an opportunity in life. And that was such an amazing opportunity because I think it helped me as a person just really like grow into my personality and feel like I was super supported. And I, it was a, it was a brother sister camp, but you know, I was on the all girl side. And I think also as a, as a young girl seeing like all these like what I considered like badass, strong, young, like teenage women who were like my counselors and my CIT is like, I looked up to them so much. And I like got so much energy from the energy they brought every day. And I feel like that's like, that was hugely influential. And I still keep in touch with a lot of the people that I, you know, knew as a kid, like all the way, like into my young adulthood. So, you know, I'm very grateful that my parents gave me that opportunity to like go every summer and just kind of keep growing as an individual because, during the school year, you're like middle school, high school. I mean, you know, I think like a lot of kids, you know, you're in a lot of activities. I think I was definitely, you know, especially when I was younger, it was like a little bit more like focused on the goal and like always trying to like get A's as much as I could and be in all the activities and be in leadership positions and, you know, all of that. And camp was like a nice escape from that because it was kind of just more about having fun and like yeah. running around. So I think it was a good, it was a good balance. And In in high school, I went to an all girls high school, you know, played sports, you know, three seasons, was involved in a lot of different activities there. And, you know, definitely a very high intensity environment. So again, I think, I think going to camp every summer was like a good break. And then, you know, off to BC, which is where, you know, you and I connected. You know, you know, especially given, you know, that you're an LGBTQ blogger um and a member of the community yourself 
do you want to, I mean, I, I actually don't know this. So do you want to talk about maybe was, was, did you know in high school, middle school, I mean, when did the, the process click. start to, to, yeah, to click? <laughs> so I, I've definitely referred to this as like a lightning bolt moment. And it was, it was a moment when I was in high school as my senior year. And I just turned and looked at somebody when I was out one night and I just had this like rush of feelings, you know what I mean? And yeah. it definitely was a surprise to me. And, and I think that initially made my journey of discovering my own identity very challenging because I think with some people, there's this expectation that, you know, they're definitely one thing or another, which is like a good reminder to try to not put our expectations on other people because people can surprise you. And I also think for myself, I was very surprised that this was seemingly a big element of my life that I had never really considered. So I think it took me a little while, honestly, to just kind of come to terms with these feelings. And again, knowing that I was going to be going to college in the next year and, you know, trying to navigate the decision of like, this is something I'm trying to understand about myself. I'm also trying to make these big decisions about like the next four years of my life <laughs> and also just all the other, yeah. all the other stressors that come high school and prom yeah. and APs and like the normal stuff that makes you stress, you know, that everyone experiences pretty universally. So it was hard. And at the end of the day, I feel so fortunate because I had two specific people that made such a difference in that moment of, or that period, not that moment, that period of questioning and uncertainty. And, and I've had many people since then, but I, I always point to the two of them. And the first was my cousin, Ryan, who is truly just my best friend and has always been like a guiding force in my life. She was like the first person I ever told. And, you know, it was kind of like a secret I whispered to her and I was like, so like unsure of what to say. And she was so welcoming and so, understanding about how I was feeling and just like without any hesitation offered me support, you know, and I so appreciate her response and I wouldn't have expected anything less, but just the fact that that it was such a positive response was very powerful to me in that moment. And then I had a, another friend, my friend, Sarah, who was my, my best friend from my hometown. And I think I told her in a Starbucks and I was like kind of beating around the bush, like trying to like, tell her without telling her. And then I think I just came out and said, you know, I, I think I identify as bisexual or something like that. Like I kind of just like bluntly said it. So I was like, I don't know what I'm trying to do. And again, like not because I would expect anything less, but she in a similar way was just so understanding and so accepting right away. Like, no, like probably asked follow-up questions, but like kind of no questions asked. And that really made such a difference in as I was continuing to move forward and, be, and you know, figuring out again, where I was gonna go to school and, you know, what kind of people I wanted to interact with and how I wanted to be, like whether I wanted to be out or if I was gonna be kind of keeping that to myself for a while. Just having those two really positive interactions made like the difference. Like I have such sympathy for anybody who is going through the process of questioning or coming out, like however you wanna, classify it and is not met with support because it is such a vulnerable moment. And I also should say, I should have said this earlier, but I actually have my older brother, Sean is also gay. So it's at the time, even though I wasn't worried about 
my family rejecting me or like getting kicked out of my house or anything that like truly does happen to people. And I'm not like minimizing that by any means, but I definitely knew at the time, like I would, it's not like anything adversely would happen to me in my family. So I feel like I like to bring that up because even knowing that, even knowing my brother had come out and of course was accepted by my family and supported and, you know, his husband, when they eventually, you know, when they met and then came into our family, their wedding was like one of the best celebrations of our entire lives. But it, even knowing all of that, it still is hard when it's you and you're trying to understand how are people going to perceive me? Is this going to change certain dynamics that I depend on or that I, I thought I could always count on? And maybe those will change, like whether that's with family or with friends or even like as a professional, you know, or as a student, how will I be viewed by my peers or by professors or by superiors, you know, it's, it's a lot to manage. And I, I feel very hopeful about, well, I'll say this, I feel hopeful about some things in our current culture and the fact that like, especially with social media and like what I would call like, you know, Gen Z, like I see so much focus on supporting the LGBTQ plus community and on lifting each other up and accepting others. like. And that gives me so much hope. Like, I think if, I, I tell people this sometimes, and like, I'm, I'm honestly not joking. If the show Glee had been on earlier in my life, like maybe that would have been something that made me feel a little bit more open to these changes I was experiencing or these realizations I was having because people representing your journey is so important and so necessary. And then also like that idea of like peer support. And I don't, I don't think you should ever do anything because people are going to accept you. You know, obviously opinions change over time. And, and sometimes the world takes a little while to catch up to what we know to be right and true. But I, I am so inspired by what I see online from young people about supporting the queer community, you know, especially as allies, because you know, it just, it paves the way and it gives people who maybe are younger and maybe are questioning, maybe it gives them hope. And not because they have to like come out to those people or they have to even come out right away, but just to know, okay, maybe when I do, maybe when I decide to like test the waters a bit, I see support. Like I literally see it in these people's actions and in their words. And that will probably make me feel safer or more comfort comfortable moving forward. And, and that just gives me a lot of hope. I think Conversely, there's a lot to do in our current modern America in terms of policies and actually confirming, you know, I, I'm, I'm honestly very worried about the election. I, I know we're recording before the election <laughs> spoke about. Yeah. And I, you know, am very concerned about the Supreme Court nomination and what that could mean for the legalization of gay marriage, because that is such a important value to me as an individual. And I think to so many queer people, even if they don't want to get married, the ability to get married legally is so important, like not just for the fact of being married and having a wedding, but for legal reasons and for financial reasons and medical reasons. And as we were saying before, I hope that's what people are thinking about when they're voting for the candidates that they that they believe will uphold those values. You know, that's definitely why I'm supporting the Biden-Harris ticket and, you know, basically Democrats up and down the ballot because it is my real life. It, it is my, myself and, and my girlfriend's ability to have a, a future that we feel stable and, and safe in. And then I think on top of all that, sorry, I know I've been talking for a while, but I no, think, it's, I think it's super important to 
you know, recognize that like, I am a, a white, for the most part, straight passing woman who is educated. And I have so much privilege that comes with my position. And I just like to say that because I definitely recognize that as people in the queer community, we need to be stepping up and ensuring that we're supporting not just people of color, but like, especially trans women, black trans women and, and utilizing our privilege to really advocate for those, those people as individuals, but also supporting the organizations that give those people specific services and, and just continue to advocate for legal protections that ensure we don't, you know, as a community face tragedies that are completely unnecessary. So that is definitely the the spirit I'm trying to bring to the election is that yeah. I see it so much as care for each other and, and dignity. So I'm hoping that that's what happens between now and November 3rd. Yeah. Um, so I have, you know, <laughs> a ton of questions uh, based off what you just said. So I'll start with, um, you know, I guess this will be interesting. You know, you talked about going to your friend and cousin, right? Mm -hmm. and, and that's such an important part of this process, right? Is is getting it out, like not having it build up inside. And and so I guess what was it about them that you went to them? And was it just you guys were best friends? And so it was just natural or like, I mean, because I think that's one of the toughest parts about this process often you know, depending on the community you grow up in is, is, is that first person you're telling mm -hmm. to just feel like it's okay, mm -hmm. can be tough, you know, and then people are, don't want the secret to get out or don't want the larger public to find out if, you know, if they're, you know, in this process of considering whether they're bi, they're gay, or, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. What do you think it was about your friend and your cousin that you were like, you know, I can trust them or I can go, to, I can tell them first. So I think it's a really good point that you're bringing up, which is just this ability to confide in people, right? So I'll take a step back and say, I saw something online and I'll, I'll, I'll look it up and I'll send it to you afterwards if you do yeah. like show notes or anything. Yeah. But it was a description about National Coming Out Day, which we celebrated in, which we celebrate in October. Yep. And coming out is such a unique thing to the queer community, right? Because the expectation is that everybody is straight. So you have to come out as not straight in order for your identity to be known. So I, someone kind of phrased it that way. And I thought that was like, first of all, very wise. And second of all, in terms of what I was saying earlier about just this compassionate world I see online. I know, I know social media gets a bad rap. I, I totally understand that, but I feel like I see a lot of good mixed in with a lot of concerning issues as well. So I try to focus on the good and speak out about those things that are concerning. So when I think it was a tweet or you know something, a graphic, and it was instead of thinking about coming out, because I do think it has this expectation that you're coming out to the whole world, like to everyone you know, you're coming out. And you could kind of reframe that as not coming out, but inviting in. And that could be something that's very small and, and not small in scale, 
excuse me, not small in impact, but maybe smaller in scale. So you don't maybe have to come out to everyone, but you invite in one or two people that make you feel safe and comfortable. And to answer your question about why I felt comfortable coming out and or inviting in my cousin and my best friend, I think it's because in so many other moments in my life with the two of them, my cousin, I've known my whole life, my, my friend, Sarah, at the time, we'd only known each other for about a year, but we, we developed this really close friendship. She's still one of my closest friends, someone I can reach out to at any time. And I think it was with both of them, I knew, I knew even though I was nervous to talk to them, that they would be completely open to what I said and they would give me advice. And, and even if that advice was just, I don't know what to tell you to do, but as you go through the motions of figuring out what's next, I will be here. I'll pick up the phone. I'll answer your text. I'll meet you for coffee and we'll figure it out together. And, and that's what I always hope I am for someone else who's in this process and is trying to piece together the next steps, because it's not that anyone has all the answers or should even be expected to, but it's, will you stand with me? Will you walk this path so that I don't feel alone and I feel stronger and braver to do the things that maybe are hard, but with you there, I can probably do them easier, you know? And I'm kind of like tearing up thinking about it because that their support gave me so much. And then I feel like as other people have over the years reached out to me and said, you know, hey, this is something I'm going through. Or again, I have a friend or a family member or someone in my community that I think would benefit from a quick chat with you. I feel like I hope I'm always able to give that back because what I often say when I connect with someone like that is you don't need to tell everyone in your life because I think we all are like, I'm getting this feeling and I, I'm trying to explore it. Some people feel it very strongly. Some people are still like, again, like kind of questioning and, and parsing through what they believe to be true. And I think a lot of us are like, what will our families or our friends or our communities say? And at the end of the day, I don't think we have to have that figured out. You know, we can talk to one person and just say, I'm feeling something. And I just wanted to let you know, because it makes me feel better that you know. And then if I do want to talk about it more, you're there, you know? And I think, you know, at the end of the day, not everyone feels safe coming out, you know, depending on the community that you're in and, and not everyone's in a position to do that. So I always try to keep that in mind when advising anyone of what to do. But I think if you can find even one person in your own life, and then if you don't, like, let's just say you're in the very extreme case and you don't have anyone that you feel like you could speak without fear of harm or retribution or something bad happening, there are so many free services, you know, through the Trevor project, through the, it, it gets better foundation, you know, through PFLAG, there are so many ways that you can reach out for support and resources. You know, if you don't feel comfortable talking to someone that, you know, because that is another part of like the queer experience that I've been so like taken aback by is how much queer people care about each other. Like it is astounding. Like the amount of time and resources the queer community will put into an issue as it arises or you know signing a petition encouraging others to become active to be vocal like it's just non-stop and I think part of that is because like livelihoods depend on it and it is critical and urgent but I also think it comes from this place of people experiencing 
something that maybe for some people was very easy, but for others is very challenging and has a lot of, you know, either trauma or, you know, loss of security or just other negative impacts that of course I never hoped would happen to anybody, but, but do happen literally every day. And so to kind of see people in the queer community, not just like show up for each other, but like celebrate each other and like, you know, always thinking beyond themselves, I think is just such a unique aspect of the queer community. And one reason I feel like so proud to be part of it. And one reason why, you know, I know it was very different this year because of the pandemic and the lockdowns, but it's why I look forward to Pride in New York City so much every year, because it is just the most joyful experience being with my closest loved ones and my girlfriend and just like having a blast, you know what I mean? And knowing that even though things are hard and and we still have to keep fighting and show up like every day for each other, like we can still celebrate and be proud and just have, you know, that's those things can exist together. They're not mutually exclusive as I guess what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Second question I had, you know, in your, you know, obviously we're not old, but you know, we didn't grow up with Netflix. I'm not sure if Netflix was even a thing when, when you came out and stuff like that. So we didn't even see from a media perspective shows, you know, like it wasn't widespread available. Right. When you think about your process, you know, I mean, and again, the resources now today are are a lot better, but what resources did you have? I mean, where did you go? go? (laughs) I'm just curious. No, that's a good question. I mean, to be totally honest, I don't feel like I found many resources that were, were pretty impactful. At least nothing really comes to mind right away outside of the people in my life that I confided in because I mean, for the most part, I think honestly, the main show I knew growing up that had a a queer storyline was the show Will and Grace, which I loved, but it was for the most part about two men, you know, and, and I think I love that show, but I think it was a lot of the more stereotypical representation of gay people, which is mostly like straight, not, excuse me, not straight, but white gay men. Right. And then Honestly, apart from that, I feel like most of the references to queer culture in TV shows and in movies, like, were jokes. Like, ha, you know, that's so gay, man. Or like, you know, I love the show Friends. Like that was, and still is one of my favorite shows, but like every reference to queer people for the most part is hurtful, you know? It's like, I'm sure in the 90s and the early 2000s, it was like, you know, people are like slapping their knees, but it's like, it's not funny. You know what I mean? And so I think that's something that's like very interesting to look back on and realize like that was very, a very formative show. I've watched that with my cousins, with my siblings, like multiple times. It was like literally one of our favorites, but the way it portrayed queer people for the most part was not, was not very kind. And that's like one of the good examples, right? So I am very thankful that like, I, grew up in a very liberal family. Like I witnessed my parents be extremely accepting of my brother and, you know, my grandparents being extremely accepting of my brother. I also think 
even though I didn't have that many resources to per se, like I didn't have Instagram, like Instagram didn't exist at the time. Facebook was like just where you uploaded like hundreds of pictures. It wasn't like a lot of substantial content and resources like it is. I think it is in some ways now, but actually one thing that I, I can turn to as being extremely influential at that time was really the reaction of my grandparents because, and I say that because I think it's very common. I think it's very common to expect certain things from elderly people. You know, they grew up in a different time. Their lives are very different than our lives are now. You know, the access to media, like there's just a lot of differences, right? And when I was growing up, you know, my parent, my grandparents' influence, I would say after my parents, like love and care, their love and care was probably one of the strongest influences in my whole life. You know, and I think every one of my cousins, I'm from a big extended family. I think every one of them would say that for different reasons. And the fact that my grandparents, you know, being as old as they were when my brother came out and then when I came out, you know, both raised in very Catholic households who still, you know, are very proud of their Catholic heritage. I think I admire so much how they expanded their viewpoint. And even if at at a certain point, maybe they weren't as understanding of these issues and the quest for rights, like the ability to get married, you know, things like that. Like, I feel like they took a big step back and they just expanded their worldview and like expanded their hearts. And they were like, this is important to me. I, you know, in every moment of my life, my grandparents supported me. And the fact that this, you know, coming out experience didn't affect that in the slightest, like not at all to me, gives me so much hope for people. Like, I think sometimes people let us down and that's super disappointing, but then I think sometimes we don't give people a chance and we don't give them a moment to like rise to the occasion. And, and when I look back at that time, the fact that my grandparents, like, you know, supported me so much. And my grandmother till this day is like someone I cannot wait to tell when something is, is important in my life because her being proud of me is like one of those things that like drives me to do more and be more. And so even though I didn't have a lot of like influences per se, like in media or online, I feel like the fact that they evolved and were so accepting of my family and and our understanding of our identities is like such a beacon of hope. Like I really, really believe that. Yeah. In, um, you know, in in your process, was there anyone? Uh, it, it seems like there wasn't, but you know, because you came from a supportive family. But was there anyone that said, "Oh no, you're not like you should go to, you know, straight therapy, or you should go um, like there just was against, like just thought you were, you know, confused or or something of that nature." So, I will say this: I had extremely supportive reactions from almost everybody. There were definitely a couple interactions where I said, this is what I'm thinking. And people's responses could be varied and be like, wow, I really would never have expected that of you, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. It it can sometimes just be a change in someone's perception or expectations. And then there were some people who were like, you know, I don't really know if that's what you are. Like, maybe you are just questioning. Maybe you don't maybe you haven't had enough experiences. So maybe you just don't know, you don't know yourself. And I think as I've gotten older, like, 
I think at the time you can feel very strongly about those reactions and, and, and in a justified way. But I think as I've gotten older, I, I go back to something that a mentor told me, a mentor I met on a retreat, who basically said in her own coming out process, she said, it took me several years to recognize who I was and to feel fully comfortable and accepting of myself. And when people don't have the reaction I'm expecting, or they kind of disappoint me and, and what have you, I try to give them a moment of grace and, and believe that there will be improvement. And that one initial bad interaction or hesitation is not how the interaction will always be. I don't think that's licensed for anyone to be discriminatory or to be hurtful or to suggest like queer conversion therapy, which like is absolutely should be banned and outlawed in every single state. And the fact that it's not is like pretty crazy, but that's, that's a whole nother episode. <laughs> and so yeah. I, I think, you know, as queer people, you know, we want everyone to have the best possible reaction. I think we deserve, I think we deserve that. But I also acknowledge people are human. And just because you may have something that's not the exact reaction you were hoping for the first time you maybe come out to someone or your first conversation with someone new, it doesn't mean there can't be change or there can't be growth. And so I think that's, it's hard in the moment, but I feel like that has helped me take a step back when something happens that I'm not, you know, initially on board with. And, and then it gives me a moment to say, okay, I'm going to reach out to that person and say, Hey, just so you know, you're maybe trying to, figure this out, but this is who I am. And I want us to be able to like support each other, just like I would support you. And, you know, whether that's a coworker, whether that's a friend, whether that's a family member. And I feel like when you come at it with, a, from a place of, of trying to be understanding and compassionate, like you often get that back, you know what I mean? And it is hard. Like I, I definitely don't think it's an easy thing to, to navigate. And I always just wish the best for everybody and hope that these interactions are loving and kind but I know that's not always the reality. So I feel like that that little piece of advice from a mentor has made a big difference in in my interactions. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of times, you know, when someone is gay, they go to, oh, well, maybe I'm bi. And, and no, not, nothing, nothing wrong with that. You, you definitely can be. But in reality, they're just, you know, they're just gay. And so it's just, you know, it's society and it's taking them time to, you know, formulate. What was that process like for you in terms of, you know, at least I think you went from maybe thinking you're bi and then ultimately, you know, probably just saying you're a lesbian, things like that. What was that process like? So I'll actually, I'll, I'll back you up and say that I did come out on my blog as bisexual and, and I actually do. Oh, I apologize. I'm so oh, sorry. no, no, please don't, <laughs> don't apologize. I, I'm just letting you know so that I can frame this. So yeah. it's very interesting because I came out on my blog when I was like a senior in college as bisexual. I was like, this is my statement. And it's something that is very interesting to talk about because I do identify as bisexual, but also as lesbian. So it's, it's something that is maybe a little hard to understand, but I think it's because identity can be a little fluctuating. And, and also to say that there is, how do I say this? There definitely is a pressure to define ourselves, right? Because it, and I don't think it comes always from like a negative place. I think it comes from people trying to understand and trying to be like, I just want to make sure I know what's going on here. Like, I don't think it has bad intention by any means, 
But I think that's why a lot of people struggle with accepting people who are bisexual at first. I think there's something to be said for the fact that people just also need to like expand their minds a little bit. But I think people see being bisexual in the stereotypical way as they say, right, bi now, gay later. And that's how people come out is they come out as bi because they don't want to like rock the boat too much by coming out directly as gay or some other identity. And I think at the end of the day, while I, I definitely am more attracted to women, for example, and I definitely have pursued women as partners far more than I pursued men as partners. Like the reason I identify as bisexual is because I definitely could see like a man on the street and be like, oh yeah, that's a nice looking man. You know what I mean? And I think that there are other times where like I identify like so strongly with like being a lesbian and being like a woman who dates another woman. So I feel like it's not because I, I have to like hold on to one or another. I think it's as a whole, there, there can be more conversation about just identity changing or being fluid or having multiple identities and, and that being totally okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's a great point. That was, that's a good point that it is fluid and, um, and that's fine that it's fluid. Uh, I guess, you know, when, I guess, what was your process in terms of, you know, uh, coming out privately and then, you know, you obviously came out publicly any thoughts on, you know, for someone just going through that process, you know, obviously, um, I think you said before, you know, it's not necessary to come out publicly. Uh, but I guess what was, what was the incentive for you, you know, to, to come out publicly? It's a really good question. So I entered college, you know, as a freshman, as, as we all do around, you know, 19 years old and, I was very fortunate in college to have an extremely, extremely accepting group of friends. I had my first girlfriend who I was with for several years. And by the time I was single my senior year and was really, you know, doing a lot of soul searching and reflecting, I think like we all do when, you know, the end of college is near and you're trying to figure out who I was in college, did I do enough? Was I enough? Was I who I wanted to be? And you're also trying to think ahead to everything that's gonna come. You know, I had this moment of realization that I share so many things about my life. And it's not just because I'm a blogger and I write about my life on the internet. I just like to share. And, and I think I actually wrote that in my, in my post when I put it up. I was like, this is one of the most natural things about me. I've always been a talker. I'm extremely extroverted. You know whether it's my friends or coworkers after the weekend or like some person on the street, like I just love to talk to people. And I think I had a moment where I realized I was talking about everything else in my life, you know, my schoolwork, my activities, you know, ultimate Frisbee, the women's innovators network, you know, going out on the weekends, like all these things that were super important to me, my family. And yet this big, huge part of me that was really important. I'd only let a couple people know. And I think actually having a blog already was very helpful for me because it was like, here is this avenue of communication that already exists that I have total control over. And I'm just going to put a post up and then I'm going to share that on Facebook and just see what happens. And I say this with like such a grain of salt because I had such a positive experience. I don't think I had one negative comment or one like negative message from a 
single person. I'm sure there were people who did thing with me. And it was just like an overwhelming amount of love and support. And, you know, how fortunate was I that that was the reaction. And I say that because I don't think it's necessary to come out on the internet. I don't think it's necessarily to come out at all. It's, it's totally dependent on what makes you feel comfortable and, and really who benefits from, from knowing. I think I've spoken to people before and I've said, even if you've spoken to one or two people, right? Like we said earlier, you know, you've invited one or two people in that small community. Sometimes it's helpful to have those one or two people, not just because they support you, but also maybe they have some nice friends or some person in their class who could, they could introduce you to. And, you know, it sounds a little strange to think about, but again, we spoke earlier about the fact that we are in a world where the expectation is that you are straight, right? We assume everyone is straight. So until someone tells you otherwise, like you, it, it can be challenging to like navigate as a queer person and maybe someone who's not like dressed in a certain way or acting a certain way that like, hey, I'm a queer person and, and I'm interested in dating or just expressing myself as a queer person. And I want to let people know, but maybe I'm still nervous or tentative or not wanting to embarrass myself, which is like, totally understandable when it's something that's new to you, but you're looking to explore it. So I tell people that even if you're letting those one or two people know, it's not just expanding like your circle of trust and, you know, your support system, but it's maybe opening you up to new people and new relationships or new friendships. And, and then those people in turn can be support and, you know, growth and, and everything else that you hope to come from relationships and, and clubs and friendships and, and all of that. That's another thing I think, any, any way that you can reach out to like a, a student union group or a club at your high school or like at, at my office, I started what's called an associate interest group to support the queer community at our company and to introduce, you know, the issues that we care about to our allies and really like encourage action and celebration amongst those groups. Those can be great places that even if you're not out to a ton of people, you can just kind of show up and, and even if it's just, hey, I'm here to learn, you know what I mean? And can and become ingrained in something that way. I feel like you don't have to come out with a bunch of rainbow balloons and sparklers. You can just have a few conversations where you feel comfortable and safe and see what, what comes from there. Yeah. I guess, so talk to me about dating because that that's a big thing, right? Is, that's a big thing. You know, and, and, <laughs> and luckily for the, you know, I, not the kids, but like everybody trying to, date um in the modern era you know we got apps and things like that so that's kind of helped the process but you know I, I guess just you know for especially i think for the straight community i mean just talk about what what you know the dating life you know and, and socializing and uh it is like you know so i think again, even since I was in college to now, I feel like the advent of social media has changed so many things. And I think like in a good way, I feel like, first of all, I don't have that much experience with dating apps. Like I, most of the people that I ever interacted with or dated or was, you know, involved with were people that I just met through mutual connections or, or friends or whatever. I think, the reason I said what I did earlier about letting some people know is because it does give you 
a greater network of people to like be interested in and potentially date or, you know, go out with or whatever you want to say. So it's very, I think, very important to, again, do anything that you do in a way that makes you feel safe and, and comfortable, right? Like that's, I feel like the baseline for any interaction as a queer person, like from dating to your personal life, to your professional life, be safe and comfortable, you know, put yourself first and make sure that you can do that. But at the end of the day, right, especially if you are a, you know, questioning queer person or, you know, like a newly out person and you're just trying to get your, you know, put feelers out there and, and explore, right? What's hard when you're a queer person is that, again, the assumption that everyone is straight. So you could go to a party and, and see someone and be like, that woman looks really interesting or really beautiful. I want to go talk to her. You know, it is something to consider that at the end of the day, that might be like a little shocking to her or it might be like a little embarrassing to her like hey I'm not a queer person like I'm only interested in men like as a potential response but I feel like at the end of the day it is never a bad thing to express interest in someone right to say you are someone that I am intrigued by or I want to get to know better and just see what happens and part of that I think is just being a little bold and putting yourself out there and part of that is knowing that at the end of the day like it's very hard, I think, to have relationships if you don't at least try, right? So it's not because everything's going to be perfect or you're going to like meet someone that you love and are going to be with the rest of your life, like the first moment you come out. But I think in similar way for straight people, like you don't know until you're out there meeting people. And I, I think at the end of the day, it can be a little uncomfortable, but I don't think there's anything wrong with reaching out to someone and saying, hey, I'd love to get to know you better. And you could read their vibe and say, hey, they seem really interested. Maybe they're not. Okay, you know what? That's the person I'm gonna move on from. I'm gonna explore other opportunities. And and that's, at the end of the day, we're never any, we're not everybody's cup of tea. Like no matter who you are, like you could be the best person in the world. And it's like, yeah, that person just wasn't interested. And I think that's okay too. And giving yourself like a little grace, like, hey, you're gonna have to maybe navigate some things that are like a little uncomfortable or maybe involve like you putting yourself out there. But as long as you feel safe and you feel comfortable, like, what do you have to lose? I, I feel like, you know, I'm also extroverted. So maybe it's a little bit easier for me to say that, but, but I think it's true. Like if you have something great to offer the world, people should see that and you should just shoot your shot, you know? Yeah. I think for, you know, the straight community and, and, and just for them, I guess, what do you hope that they can learn from this interview? And, you know, cause you know, and then obviously there's a lot of members of the straight community who are supporters, but maybe they're not the most, you know, like vocal or what are, maybe what are some things that we can do to, to be better allies? Definitely. I think that's such a great question. And thank you for asking, because I feel like that is such a substantial way that we will just continue to make progress as a whole world, right? When, when we all care about these issues and not just the queer community. So I feel like a very simple thing that I see more and more people doing on social media that I think is fantastic is just putting your pronouns in your bio, like your Instagram bio, your Twitter bio. You know, I've seen some people starting to put it in their email, you know, uh, signature. And it's just so simple because then if you are a person with maybe not the pronouns that someone's expecting, it, it's kind of a signal to them that first of all, hey, I, I identified the importance of pronouns. So I think that's like a huge benefit. But I also think it just 
makes pronouns more of a conversation, makes identity more of a conversation and, and therefore hopefully one that's moving us in a direction of more understanding and, and acceptance. So that's like a really simple thing. I think from a much bigger perspective, I know we already touched on this, I think you can vote with your values. And at the end of the day, politics do have an impact on queer people. And I know there's a lot of conversation right now about not being political and, you know, still trying to find common ground. And, and I know I'm not saying to never find any common ground with people by any means, but I think it's important to say out loud that if you vote for certain candidates, you are voting for restrictions on queer people's lives. Like you're, you're making it harder for people to potentially get healthcare, to have access to financial security, to have access to basic safety, to have access to marriage and that institution as a whole. So can it you, is- Can you expand on that just for the people that, you know, might not be as politically smart, you know, <laughs> exactly what you're- well, No, because I mean, totally. you know, if you're not passionate about politics, if you're just kind of a, you know, every four years type of person, like you're not gonna know the intricacies of what you're talking about. Can you expand on that? I will. I would definitely not say that I'm a political expert, but I think an example of, you know, this Supreme Court nomination being rushed in, you know, and that was, again, in, from my point of view, like an extremely hypocritical political move given exactly what happened, you know, four years ago. And I say that because the incoming Supreme Court judge, you know, has vehemently expressed not wanting to uphold the legal institution of marriage in the United States. And, and that could have a huge impact on if a change is made from the decision that was made back in 2015, you know, over five years ago. And, and that is such a, it's such a strange conversation to even be having because I remember that moment talking with my mom, you know, we went and had breakfast together and, you know, she was so happy so happy that this decision had been passed and that my brother who's getting married like two months later, he could legally be married. Like in all 50 states, this was gonna be legal. It wasn't like we had to go to a specific state to have a legal marriage, you know what I mean? And I was like, mom, I'm happy. Of course I'm happy, but like, obviously this should have been passed, no? Like this is so basic and so straightforward to me. And I think that's where sometimes there is like this gap in our understanding as like younger people and maybe older people is something that I take as the bare minimum for maybe the older generation is like a, a, a landmark of progress. And I'm not saying that because I don't believe it to have been progressive and, and historical, but I am just like, I can't believe that that was even up for debate that I could legally get married, that my brother could legally get married, that, that queer people could legally be married. So when I, when I say these things matter, you know, it's because at the end of the day, I would like to get married. You know, I, I, I spoke this whole interview about how important my family is, how, how significant my parents were and my grandparents were in my life, like the effect my siblings had on me and, and how their like care formed me as a person. And it's like, at the end of the day, that's what I want to have for my family. I want to have a family, you know, and I don't think people always realize that, you know, I think people can mistakenly think that like being queer or being proud is about, you know, wearing the rainbows and throwing glitter at pride. And, and that's what it is. And it's like, that's part of it, but it's also just wanting to say every day, you as the straight person and I as a queer person can live our lives the same way. And those identities don't change what we have basic access to. 
because it shouldn't change what we have basic access to at the end of the day, you know? And the fact that that's still a moral argument is so frustrating, you know? It's so frustrating. And, you know, again, I know we're talking about this before the election. I'm hoping that young people showed up to vote. I really hope young people showed up to vote. And I hope that- We'll see, I may even, I may may put you this Monday. We'll see. Yeah. I do it before. (laughs) Yeah, but continue. Yeah, so I, I think that, um, again, you know, it's not because I expect everyone to have like a legal degree or to be versed in every single issue that's happening. But I do think as queer culture has become a little bit more mainstream, right? And, and as it's become more of a talking point, it can be very easy to say like, I support queer people or I'm an ally. But at the end of the day, do your votes show that you're an ally? Do you put up posts that acknowledge when, you know, a black trans woman was murdered unjustly, you know, do you call for justice? Do you support queer organizations that offer services? Like those are all ways that allies with honestly very minimal effort can make a huge impact. And I feel like in so many ways, this, you know, time has been challenging for, for obviously so many reasons, but it's also a reminder, like we can all have an impact. Right. And I feel like as we witness, you know, this summer with, with lots of different discussions around the call for racial justice and in involving ourselves in the Black Lives Matter movement. Like we saw that that people when called to action will show up and, and I think continue to try to do the right thing. And I hope that there is continued momentum around that movement. And I just say that like in parallel, I feel like with the queer community and the continued fight for basic human rights, like if people show up, like there there can be change. And, and that's not gonna happen if it's just queer people advocating for ourselves. I believe that real change happens when our straight allies care just as much as we do. Like, just like if your rights to to get married were being violated, I would hope that you would know I would stick up for you because I would want you to have that same, same basic level. Like we're not even asking for more. We're just asking for for the same at the end of the day, you know? Yeah. You know, uh, there's going to be people that see this, right? And whether, you know, and I'm not trying to stereotype, but, um, you know, that don't, you know, just, I, I don't even know how to phrase this, but like, don't believe, you know, in recognizing the LGBTQ community, right? And, and, um, you know, um, you know, again, I'm struggling. I mean, just that they don't think this this is like, they just think there's stuff wrong (laughs) with all of you guys. Like, you know, I think for them, does anything come to mind in terms of trying to educate them on, you know, just trying to create more, you know, understanding or their, you know, Netflix shows or any, anything that you would, you know, if they're struggling, maybe they're struggling to understand their son or daughter coming out or, or whatever, you know, does something stand out in, in terms of trying to help them, you know, become an ally, you know? That's a great question. And again, I, I, I know in our very divisive times, 
it, it can be very easy to like just hold out and be like, I'm right, you're wrong. I always hope that I come from a place of love and compassion, even with people I disagree with. And that's definitely become increasingly harder with a lot of the events of the last few years. But I, I guess if there was anyone listening who maybe didn't understand or, you know, didn't believe in the validity of what I'm saying, you know, I, I would just ask them to maybe pause first of all, and just really consider if this was them, how these actions, you know, would make them feel, you know, just like for a second, trying to put yourself in the shoes of someone who, you know, whatever their situation was, was struggling with their identity, was thinking of coming out and was afraid or concerned or just nervous about what that would mean, you know? And I think even when we disagree with people, that moment of, you know, being in their perspective can just be a little humbling. So I hope that that's something people try to do, even when it's not something they can always understand. I also just finished a book over the summer that I feel like can be really impactful for people, maybe from more conservative backgrounds or maybe more religious-based backgrounds. And it's a book by an author named Glennon Doyle. And her book is Untamed. I definitely recommend you read it. And a lot of her memoir is about the process of coming out and, you know, finding a relationship with her now wife and blending her family and really like bucking society's expectations for her in trying to live her own truth. And I feel like it's really, really powerful if you have come from a religious background or maybe a more conservative background because she was part of a very, very strong faith for a very long time. And instead of kind of abandoning her faith in coming out and becoming, you know, becoming an open queer person, she kind of has, again, expanded her view of faith and of God and of herself to be more inclusive. And then as a result has had, I think so many positive effects through her writing, through her community, through her like organizational efforts to like inspire young voters and to encourage people to just search for their own path and not feel constrained by what is expected of them by any person, by a religion, by their family, by society at large. And so, you know, if I had to point to like one book, I feel like that's definitely really powerful. And I'm trying to think if there's like a show that I would recommend. I mean, there, my girlfriend and I joke that there's like so many more queer options now. So I feel like if you just watch like basically anything on Netflix or like things that came out in the last few years, oh my gosh. If you're looking for like a beautiful love story, I cannot recommend Portrait of a Lady on Fire enough because at the end of the day, again, you may not understand queer love from an individual perspective, but I don't always understand straight love from an individual perspective. And I still watch all those movies and I still watch all those shows and and it still adds value and entertainment. You know what I mean? So I feel like that's like a good plug for queer media as a whole that it's not because we have to all identify with every single thing. It can just be about a beautiful story or feeling something and, and having that open our perspective a little bit. Yeah. So I, I feel like a lot of, you know, and, and, and rightfully so, like a lot of this interview we've had to talk about, you know, the toughness of all of this. Uh, talk to me about what's the best thing about being a lesbian? What's what's awesome <laughs> about, you know, what, let's bring some happiness. Let's bring some happiness in. I love it. Okay. <laughs> so I would say, you know, I think I touched on this a bit earlier, but I just absolutely love 
celebrating pride every June. I feel like, you know, it's right in the name, you know, being proud of who you are, being proud of your community, of your partners, of your friends, your, you know, just yourself. And, and, and it is kind of a unique thing because I feel like most other holidays or celebrations are about like the big, huge community, right? And, and Pride is kind of both a collective celebration, but it's also normally, I, I find to be like a very individual celebration. Like, wow, look how far I've come as a person or like, look at the life I've built for myself with these like wonderful supportive people in it. Like that is something to celebrate. You know what I mean? So it definitely is, you know, the parties and the going out and the parade and, and just being proud, but it's also like taking moments for yourself to say, Hey, maybe I had to navigate some things that weren't easy, but I feel so strong and powerful in this person, like in this life. And that's just amazing. Like I, that's one of the reasons I just every year look forward to pride and, and it's such a special moment for me. I also, like I said earlier, like feel like the queer community is so strong and so caring, if you will. And like one of my favorite things to do, you know, in normal times, you know, when we could be out of bars and not pandemic times when we can't do anything <laughs> mm. is, is to go to, you know, gay and lesbian bars and whether that's like to go dancing, like literally all night at, you know, up, up in Hell's Kitchen or if I'm visiting Cubbyhole, which is like one of the main, like typically like lesbian bars in the West Village. And, you know, just being in those places where, again, maybe not every single person around you is queer, but you know that there are people that are supportive because they're in the queer space or you hope that they're supportive. And you just, I feel like there's such a wonderful moment when like you look around and you're all just like, yes, this is so amazing that we're all here. We're all having fun. The music's great. And you just get like such a warm, happy feeling. Like, I, I don't know how to perfectly describe it, but it is just one of my favorite things. It's just like being out on a Friday or Saturday night in a queer space, having fun. And just like, maybe that's it because you're not worrying about anything else. You're not like, how is this? predominantly straight crowd perceiving my girlfriend and I, or, you know, what have you, you're just like with people that care. Like I, I took my, my best friend, Marguerite, we went to cubby hole the day that she got her master's degree. So she came in in her cap and gown. And when we walked in the bar, the entire bar started to clap. I mean, it was like one of the most fun moments ever. And I was like, that's why I love this place because it is so supportive. <laughs> like, yeah. even though I know it, you know, so I think, those are the things I love. And then of course, just getting to have like an extremely positive, fulfilling relationship with my girlfriend. We've been dating for five years. It was five years this past June. Awesome. And that doesn't, it doesn't even seem like five years because we, it just feels like first of all, time has passed so quickly, but also just that I still feel like I'm learning things about her and we've moved in together in the last like year or so. And that has been such a blessing during this time because she is like in so many ways like my like true partner like she lifts me up when I'm down if I need to be told you know kind of be set straight and like be like hey come on we need to change this like she is always honest and upfront with me in a way that I feel like has really made me a better person and a more caring person and we just have so much fun together like I feel happy every day because we get to spend time together. And I feel like, you know, with everything that's happened around us in the last few months and in 2020, the dumpster fire that it was, I've been 
so, so thankful that like, she has literally been by my side through it and has like strengthened me, like, and just made this time that has been very hard, like so much easier just because of who she is as a person. Yeah. Not to bring it back to the, the more serious, but you know, I'm trying to reverse engineer this to myself and, and I'm thinking like, you know, for me, you know, I don't have to go every day and, you know, fight these fights of being straight, right? I don't need to, you know, fight, you know, that being straight and, and getting a marriage license should be, you know, something that all of society should expect mm-hmm. or uh, accept. Um, does it get tiring? You know, because, you know, this is, I mean, and it, you know, obviously it's a part of your identity, but it, it, it you know, the, I feel like, you know, the, as we know, the fight's going to continue for the rest of your life. Like, it, it's, how is that process? So, yeah, it definitely gets tiring. I, I think I have like a lot of enthusiasm for just life and like trying to do the right thing whenever I can. So I definitely try to bring a lot of energy to these conversations because I really hope that, you know, through something like this or through my blog or through my Instagram posts and stories of my life, I, I hope that number one, I could be a source of comfort or inspiration or, you know, just kindness to someone who is in the queer community, like number one, but then number two, maybe I could change someone's perspective and I could give them insight that actually impacts their decisions. Like I said, you know, obviously like the most extreme ones being things like voting, but it could also be how they interact with someone in the street or, you know, at their office. So I try to think about that when I'm kind of putting my words out into the world, but it does get tiring. You know, I think at the end of the day, I I said this earlier, you know, I'm an extremely privileged person. So I like to remember that, like, I do not experience so many of the things that a lot of other people in the queer community do. I think especially queer people of color or trans women of color. So I definitely want to like acknowledge that upfront, but I think it's like even basic things, right? When, when Steph and I walk down the street, you know, even in New York, an extremely, extremely diverse place, a very accepting place with a lot of protections in place, you know, we've been holding hands and people have said some crazy, strange, violent things. And for the most part, you know, you're in a place surrounded by people. I don't feel like my safety's at risk, but, you know, maybe it's something for yourself and like other allies to think about, you know, when I hold someone's hand, like, do I feel nervous? Like, do I feel like something bad could happen to me? And, and that's where like, it can get a little tiring, but at the end of the day, you know, I believe that I'm on the the right path. I believe it's important to stand up for what I believe in and hopefully make things better and, and more safe and, and more secure for other people like myself included. So that's why I'm like, you just have to keep going, you know? And, and I think that's something that I, I definitely, again, I say this from like a, a place of privilege as a white straight passing woman, you know, I think as I was trying to do my own self-reflection and trying to figure out ways that I could be more impactful as the Black Lives Matter conversation was growing in May and June, you know, that's like a, you know, a very strong point where maybe people are not as understanding of queer identities or queer perspectives. But, you know, when that conversation was happening, it's not because you, you always identified with, with every social justice movement that's happening, but you just said, I'm going to try to put myself 
in that position. I'm going to try to understand what I don't understand. And maybe I will come out of that, you know, not even maybe I should come out of that more compassionate and with a desire to do more. And I hope that's what people continue to feel. And like I said to you earlier, it will improve if we have people who are advocating and, and actually making change. But I'm trying to say this in a way that is not hurtful, but I, I hope it makes sense. I, I'm trying to encourage people, like, if you say you support us at Pride, which is like the fun time, you know, when we're drinking, we're dancing, we're just like letting our hair down, like, you should support us at the polls. You should show up and say that if I support you this way, I probably should support you this way as well. And, and those are not, those are not different. You know what I mean? Like the supporting of queer people should be all encompassing. So, so yeah, I, I get tired sometimes I get frustrated, but I'm also like you talking with me today. I feel like we had such a fantastic conversation that I, I believe that that will hopefully be something that you reflect back on and, and your listeners, I hope are inspired to maybe do, even if it's just one thing different in their life that makes an impact, like there has to be a ripple effect, right? Like, yep. I have to believe that. Yes. <laughs> you know? No, no, no. There will be. There will yeah. And we, we talked about quite a bit and I didn't end up getting into the journey much, but uh, was there anything else that, uh, that you wanted to talk about So that we didn't hit on? I feel like we hit on a lot, but I would just say, you know, to anyone who's listening that, you know, we spoke right before this, we started recording and, you know, we were chatting about ourselves in high school or, you know, if young people are listening. And, and I think if you are a young person or even if you're not, you know, we could all stand to have a little bit more grace for ourselves in this very challenging time. And if you are a queer person, you know, know that you are loved and cared for even by people you maybe have never met. Like the community will always be ready to welcome and accept you at whatever point you come out or at whatever point you tell people, even if you never tell people, like there are people who have your back and want you to be happy and successful and, and feel loved. And if you are an ally who's listening to this and you're a young person, like, you have the potential to make a real impact on your community by voicing your support, by putting up, you know, pro LGBTQ plus content. Like it sounds very basic, but as we said earlier, that could be a sign to someone who maybe needs a little help, that you are a friend, that you are a trusted source. And, you know, I'm speaking to young people, but I'm also speaking to everyone that we all have a role to play in trying to make the world a better, kinder place. And, it's not because we've all lived every experience, but it's because we're trying to understand the things we don't understand and still show up and still offer support and advocate for change because at whatever, whatever identity we most align with, you know, there's some expectation that someone's advocating for us. So it's like, can we do that for other groups? Can we do that for other identities and support each other? I, I believe that's totally possible. And, you know, is a way that we're gonna become a more compassionate world once we come out of this. Cause I know it's, I know it's dark times right now. And, you know, I know we all have bad days or maybe bad periods, but, but there is still light at the end of the tunnel. And if we bring others along the way, right? Like we're not holding the torches long, right? We can, we can lean on each other, support each other and, and hopefully come out of it better on the other end. That's what I, I like to believe. Awesome. Well, uh, Aaron, I, I just want to acknowledge you. It's been just so, um, awesome learning from you seeing just how 
strong and, and willing to share you've been throughout this whole journey. And, and I know how many lives you've affected uh, from that. And, and that's just such a cool thing, you know, because it, it takes people to be vocal to create change, right? And so uh, if there's anyone that's interested in, in following you on social media or getting, maybe contacting you, what are the best ways that they can do that? Definitely. So you can always check out my blog, erinancullen.com and my Facebook, Twitter, Instagram handles are all the same, Aaron Ann, at Erin Ann Cullen. And then if you want to email me, it's erinancullen at gmail.com. Tried to keep it pretty consistent all the way through. And just want to say thank you so much for having me. This was such a pleasure and such an honor. And I guess before we wrap up, I just want to say, you know, as a queer person, you know, in today's world, like I, I truly think it's so important to always acknowledge like our history. And at the end of the day, I'm here because so many of the people paved the path for me and allowed me to live more freely and honestly, you know, so I just always, as much as I can try to acknowledge that, that it's so important to know, to know where we came from, to know where we're going. So uh, thank you for your kind words, but I, I definitely feel like all of us in this modern world, like stand on the shoulders of giants. So I try to carry that with me as much as I can. No, that's, that's a great point. That's a great point. I have to, have to thank the people that came before us. Uh, so Aaron, thank you. Thank you so much for being on. Oh, Appreciate thank it. you so much. This was wonderful. Thank you.